0: us is Yet a Robot, the podcast, or indeed welcome if this is your first time uh, of listening. My name is Emma Franklin and I am a trans woman and I'm an artist and this series of podcasts are related to a book that I have coming out. It's a collection of the last five shows that I made and each episode is a conversation with someone who was significant in the making of one of those pieces and today I'm talking with Rosanna Cade and really enjoyed this conversation uh, and we were talking about uh, Eggbox which was quite unusual in the project because it was a piece that was made for one audience member at a time and it took place inside two giant cardboard boxes. I spoke to Rosanna at the end of the year near to Christmas, so uh, there might be some even some Christmassy vibes in there if you can handle that in the middle of the summer. Um, I must confess at one point my recording device broke so there's a slight change in the quality of the recording Um, so don't be thrown by that Um, and uh, yeah I hope that you enjoy. Here is Rosanna. Hello! Hello.
1: Thanks for
0: um <laughs> thanks for doing this. Uh so on the line, hello caller. Um all the way from uh Glasgow, I have Rosanna Cave.
2: Hello.
0: Hey. Um so thank you for doing this. Um Rosanna, how would you like to be introduced and a kinda like that how do you identify question and but I guess like for yourself, who are you? I like to kinda introduce um guests but also like how do you describe what you do these days
2: cool uh well yeah i am rosanna um and i am an artist um primarily working in performance um but that takes different forms uh and i recently made a film so i guess i work in different disciplines um and um Yeah, uh, my work is rooted in a queer feminist sort of discourse, I think, in ideology. But um, Mm -hmm. but yes, that sort of spans out in different ways and manifests in different ways. Um, And in terms of my identity and who I am, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I think um, something that is, that has recently been thrown up into the air again, uh, yeah. in, in a really brilliant way. Um, uh, and a lot of that is tied up in either my partner transitioning. And I think, um, for, a, yeah, for a long time, both of us had a lesbian identity, yeah. um, and did identify as lesbians and with a sort of lesbian culture. And, and that now is shifting. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah I feel like um it's it, it yeah it is it's come to me um and is an opportunity to rethink uh how I identify and to i suppose recognize a lot more fluidity within myself yeah um and yeah sort of questions around private identity and public identity feel quite present um so uh yeah and then the question of pronouns feels uh like a really confusing (laughs) uh question to me at the moment I think um yeah which I don't necessarily know the answer to but also to say that I wouldn't be offended by any pronoun um but I don't necessarily uh feel very fixed at the moment yeah uh yeah that's a bit of a
0: long answer no i think well i don't think it's possible i don't think it's possible if you're rooted in any kind of queer discourse and trans discourse at the moment to make a short answer and you know for those of us who are um living through this change in like awareness in the west or in change of kind of language around things i think you know it it is because like we're like you say I mean, even if, for well, for myself, I'm trans. I made a transition, and so pronouns kind of have followed along with that. And you know, but I think we're lots of people are reevaluating what we were just kind of given as standard, because mm. there's this kind of great and you know great. <laughs> re- it's not even like new, but like remembering about the fact that we don't have to just have what we were given as standard. And that, of course, mm. is open to everybody. It's not just for people who are transsexuals who are changing their body to be different from how they were assigned at birth. That's something that, you know, is is open to everybody. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think short answers are, <laughs> are um, necessarily an option.
2: Yeah. But thank yeah. you. I, I think, but I, I think for some people, you know, there is something very definite that they feel and it's really important to them that, Mm. Yeah, like, I know that he is my pronoun or... Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but I suppose, yeah, I do feel in a time of um, of change. And a lot of that is to do with my relationship and, and my gender in relation to the person that I'm in a relationship with. And, yeah, and that is something that feels very flexible. And then, mm. uh, yeah, so, um, I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm in a stage of real questioning of, my own sort of identity in in terms of sexuality and gender yeah um, uh which yeah, which is really um feels good
0: <laughs> yeah
2: overall, so yeah
0: well, that's really cool, that's really good to hear mm-hmm. um I guess like i always feel a bit um like at the beginning of cause I've done this at the beginning of every podcast that I've recorded. And then I'm kind of constantly like challenging myself, like, oh, is it necessary? What what are we doing? But I think there's something about disembodied voices that it's really helpful to have a kind of a vague sort of context of you know how how we see ourselves, and I think it is really helpful for um, for other people who are listening because some of these things as well, especially like being the partner of someone who's transitioning, it's it's so under spoken about or so under kind of represented, and I think there are it's one of those areas where the only narrative that we're really offered is a narrative of disaster mm. um like so i think because we're recording this now in november 2018 but it's not going to go out until spring 2019 i can mm. um disclose the plot of uh, an episode of silent witness that i'm in um because it will have scree- <laughs> it will have screamed by then i'm probably not supposed to do it otherwise but Um, but I'm in, uh, the trans episode of Silent Witness, which is going to be episode one of season 21 or something, 22 maybe, because it's the longest running bloody murder thing in the world. Um, and I have turned down a lot, well, not like I'm some kind of media celebrity, but I've turned down a few, um, scripts that have come my way because i have an agent now for acting work because Mm. there is more visibility and people are wanting to put trans people in, Things um, more often. I will come back to the point in a second. Um, <laughs> but um the silent witness thing came through, and it was considerably better than other things. It clearly had trans consultancy on it, and I was like, okay, you know, yeah, sure, I'll go along and see what these see what their motivation is. And I went along, and although everybody who was casting it and directing it were cisgender, like I really felt that everybody's understanding was great, their intentions were good, you know, and like all of these things. Um, and then along the way there were things that that upset me about it and it wasn't a pr- perfect process and I think I have guilt about the fact that I didn't that I did it but also I needed the money <laughs> and mm. I think it probably is a step forwards uh compared to other things um the main thing that that I was very frustrated about was they cast ultimately a cis guy in a trans role and that was something that they told me they were not going to do explicitly at the audition and when I'd accepted the role um mm. but I think it was I don't think it worked for them and many people were reflecting on that. So hopefully, you know, well, I don't know, who cares? Like I don't know I don't that wasn't I don't know who cares. It was <laughs> I don't know who cares. Um right. in those positions of power about it enough, but um but certainly the people on the ground were aware that it was inappropriate. Um mm. but yeah, the plot line of it is that I am a trans woman who's transitioned Um, and there's like murders and people being murdered within the trans community, which is like, you know, okay, we don't always want to see that as a representation, but to be fair, silent witness is a murder program. So someone's going to get murdered. Um, and they do the red herring thing, of course. And for a while they're like trying to make you think it's this, um, it's this, uh, trans person. And it turns out that it's, um, my ex girlfriend who is so devastated about my transition um that she just has to murder people who are uh positive people in the trans community
1: oh my god and it's
0: like oh when i realized that was a plot it's like and like you know the positives is that it's a crazy cis person and they make it very clear that this is a disproportionate and irrational response and so you know there's lots of like the characters who were the detectives are super pro and really understanding and everyone's language is good and respectful and stuff. And, you know, the person who is ultimately wrong is that person. But again, it's like, Oh, does that have to be the narrative? Like, you know, can we, can we not have some, some happy stories where people transition and it doesn't just like bring crisis about. So anyway, that was me coming back around to, um, I think it's, it's, really cool to have these things because it is uh, it's an unfortunate thing especially I guess if you're a because you and I have a mate work together so you know you are a your relationship has been part of that so it is public facing or an element of it is public facing and so in a way that kind of um you know it puts you in a in a position of being watched I guess which is potentially unfair
2: yeah I mean I think um I definitely feel like it's an experience that I feel is very, very uh, under represented. Um, in fact, I you know am struggling to find mm. uh, things out there that I feel like I can identify with in yeah. terms of being someone who yeah is in a, has been in a lesbian relationship, a lesbian identity being quite important to you yeah. um, and then yeah, and then having a partner transitioning and going through that and talking about that. Um, in a positive way, where it doesn 't end with uh, the relationship ending, like I know that you know there is stuff out there, and we, we live in a time with the internet, and there 's lots of avenues for connection, but you know in terms of like something that 's quite easy to find or well i don't
0: represent... think i don't think stuff is out there you know like I mean of course, like you, you know you say the internet 's so huge there 's got to be something but definitely i mean it 's definitely not easy to find
2: no no, and I, there was a BBC radio play um that was on. Uh, that was, you know, about that story of a lesbian relationship and one person transitioning. And, um, you know, I sort of listened to it. It was quite uh, soon after Ivor had come out it, um, and just listened to it, hoping to find something, like something yeah. that, oh, that I could identify with. And these people just argue, you know, throughout yeah. the way... Like, they it it, The ending is a bit ambiguous, but it basically causes, like, a really bad situation in their relationship, and, you know, luckily I could listen to it and be like, well, actually, we're not anything like that. That isn't yeah. how we talk to each other, and that isn't how we understand our identities. And But um, but it is frustrating. And of course I have to recognise that, like, that's what makes a drama. Yeah. <laughs> so if something's going to be dramatised, uh, you probably, uh, I don't know, do you need it to be... Um, that, well, I guess if that's the main story. But, um,
1: yeah.
2: yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting experience and, and it I, is yeah it's it's the first time I feel like I'm going through something that I haven't previously seen some representation of and and in some ways that's perhaps really exciting but it makes me realize like and I knew this anyway being a bloody lesbian it's not like yeah. that's been like there's been a book that I've been able to read <laughs> you know from being a young age or anything like that but this feels even more difficult and it, yeah. it's made me realize um not difficult but it's less represented so it's made me realise how useful it is to find things you can identify with and be like oh that person feels like that and I feel like that and that's okay or you know um, yeah sort of I don't know things to hold on to um, as you go through and help you understand what's going on I think can be useful but that's why it's
0: good to be artists in the world. And, yeah, yeah well, that's what we're doing, isn't it? And I, I think you know, it's, it's it goes into queerness within trans representation as well. And you know, one of the reasons that I think a lot of the mainstream stories are, you know, are, as they are, is that they really focus on couples that were or are heterosexual, and you know, the mm. dynamics of that, as opposed to exploring. Queer couples, where things can, you know, potentially it's not quite so cut and dried. Have you? I, um One thing that comes to mind is Michelle T's last book, the Against Memoir. Have you oh, seen I've not that? Oh no, heard of that. Um, Michelle T is like an essayist and writer, I guess, from America, who wrote Ooh. this fabulous book called Black Wave. That's like um basically queers at the end of the world, um, but the end of the world is like '90s San Francisco, and. Right. And then it's cool. And then it, the book went in all kinds of ways that I wasn't expecting. I really liked it. But, um, yeah, she's got a book called Against Memoir. And one of the things that she writes about is about her partner transitioning to male and about her identity within that. And I wasn't, like, 100% sure how I felt about them. But I definitely, like, it's something that's com- that's writing about that experience in a, you know, well, from her perspective and in a positive light.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: I have, to look, I have to look that out. Yeah, thank you for recommending it. Mm. But, um, shall we talk about, um,
1: shall we go back in time? Um,
0: yes. For a bit, because <laughs> thanks for, for doing this, this chat. And I guess, like, it's quite a nice one to talk about with you, because we talk about egg box, um, mm. predominantly, I, I, I suppose. Well, that was, like, my my thought and in many ways it's just it was such a small piece (laughs) um in (laughs) size and in um yeah like in in everything and a kind of piece that i feel i do feel very sort of like strange about now um in in some ways but yeah like i'd love to kind of um like know your memories of it and and you know and and also i guess like you know not just that because so um For context, you were programming and um, co-running Buzzcut Festival up in Glasgow. And that was really significant for me and for none of us as yet a robot because you guys programmed language, the very first, like, anything of language. And that was literally the first time that I stood on a stage in front of people and said, "Um, I'm trans and, like... I don't even know if I was using Emma at that point. I don't think I was. And
1: no,
0: no. So that was really huge. And we did that. And then I did Doodle there that same year. And then the following year, I think it was, came back with Eggbox. And then a couple of years after that came back with Rituals for Change. And so, you know, you really did support that whole um, body of work and gave it a really amazing kind of um, context to be shared in. Um, and, like, for me, I mean, I just the memory of that room full of people listening in language and then that response afterwards and the applause, like, it was so huge at that point in my transition and my life. But, Um, yeah, what are your memories?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it definitely, like, um, you coming and sharing that work with us is one of, yeah, the things that I feel really happy about when I think about, Buzz cut, and um, definitely something that's always stuck out in my memory because I think, yeah, you. you, I I remember you applying the first year and sort of articulating that it was, you know, you were at the beginning of this transition process and that's what the work was dealing with. And I I don't know if you necessarily said there was like an element of coming out within it, but we could tell it was Mm. very early on. And then I remember you applying the second year and you had and you were calling yourself Emma and it was a new email address and everything and so it was like noticing that step and feeling like really um, just pleased to see that that your journey was was taking place and that we were a part of that and I think I guess with Buzzcut because it was um, an open application platform it was something that we always wanted to like be there for artists to use in a way that was good for them and often we think of that in terms of I don't know like people's careers or whatever but we always felt like it could be something more than that as well because Mm. the atmosphere of the festival was hopefully like one that people found very very generous and open um just because of some of the structures that we put there like we did really want it to be a place that people could I suppose take risks or deal with you know go on personal processes and there are a few artists who i think during it like made work that was really quite transformational like in lots of different senses and i think um yeah your your sort of your journey with that work was something that we were just so um yeah happy to have as as part of the festival and to be coming back each year and to see Yeah. yeah how you were expressing um yes yeah, the the changes that you were going on and i think for me as well at the moment you know being with Ivor and us thinking about work together that we might want to be making um a, alongside his transition it's so inspiring to see um to to have witnessed and been part of um, that journey yeah that you went on um
0: i wonder i mean cuz it it yeah. def, it definitely i mean i i've always found buzzcut so positive and it definitely was all of the things that you've just said you were hoping for I mean that was my experience of it and you know just um where it was situated in the Pierce Institute in Govern and all those rooms and like what it was to kind of um you know just even to go there from the from the tube and to be with like the kids from Govern and to you know have conversations with them over the years as well and as I changed and as they grew up Um, that felt like a real positive and you know some of the work that I saw some of the duration of work particularly I saw in that little room I always found like people were really um, taking yeah taking risks and being raw but not in that way that feels like dangerous or uncomfortable to watch you know in a way that felt like it had time and time for someone to do something that lasted 10 hours but then also to be held for a couple of days afterwards by that artist community and I, I never came up just for one day to do my show and then go and I like, always came for the whole thing and that felt really valuable and mm. um, mm. I want I mean can you remember from before we go, I guess before we go to Eggbox, but with language mm-hmm. can you remember I think it was 2013 that we did it there yeah what like what the context in the world was around trans things because definitely by the final year of Buzzcut there were tons of trans, like work and artists who are identifying as trans and like you know non-binary and work looking at that, but it which wasn't the case in two thousand and thirteen, and you know it was the year of the Laverne Cox time cut magazine cover and coming out, and I guess it just feels strange to feel like in the context of Buzzcut, which I always you know felt was so cutting edge and like you know at the really exciting part of international live art and Scottish live art and UK live art and, and theatre to mm. think that something like language was, you know, that we were articulating something that wasn't being put out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, what was, do you have a memory of like what your awareness of transition was at that time or things? Cause I'm tr- <clears throat> just trying to get my head straight around what was actually going on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this a bit earlier. I'm just, as we talk, I'm going to see if I can fire up my computer, and I just wanted to like look at what the um, who else was on that year to get. Yeah, they that... all like get a bit blurred in my head, but I would definitely say that um, there was an increase in the in the last sort of two or three years of the festival where we were getting so many more like queer um, artists applying, and and those sorts of isu- um, yeah issues around gender being explored and i think that um 2013 was our third year and i think up until that point um i remember like maybe in the first or second year you know being like oh i really want to be programming queer work but we're not getting those applications which feels really weird now because I yeah. think actually the live art community in the uk there's a lot of queer people sort of who are programming things and it feels like yeah there's just loads of really interesting queer artists and i think Buzzcut- by the end, felt like a queer space, even though we didn't necessarily call it that, and we were careful with what labels we would use for things. Because yeah, we were, you know, some labels that feel inclusive to some people might feel exclusive to yeah. others. And but, um, but I think that um, yeah, I suppose in terms of myself as well, I I tell you, who else was in 2013. We had open barbers. Um, yeah I'm just remembering they came up that year as well they did and and that was um, yeah really brilliant to make connections with them but I think before before that um, I didn't feel like there was a trans presence within um, I'm worried I'm going to say this and it'll be wrong but um, yeah yeah I didn't think hmm, it felt like um, a beginning of connecting with certain people within the trans community and you and your transition. And mm. and then from that in the next few years, it felt like, yeah, we were um, getting more applications surrounding that. And, and as you say, like much more of a change in public discourse. I mean, something, um, I've, an interesting thing for me, when I think about 2013 and what has changed since then, it's the side side story. But um, in 2013, um, I did walking holding uh in Leith in Edinburgh, uh, which is a performance as you know Emma, but I just say mm-hmm. it's a performance for one person at a time to go on a walk through a town and hold hands with different people one after the other. And um Laurie, who works in walking holding with me, sometimes is in it and he um sometimes when he does in his life he sometimes like likes to wear dresses and make and dress in what you might call a Gender non-conforming way because he is a, a cis man. Yeah. Um, and in um, uh, 2013, we had him walking in an area of Leith, and on the first day, he was just wearing jeans and a t-shirt and walking through um, the Tesco's every day, and um, uh, walking through the Tesco's holding hands with people one after the other, and no one said anything. And then on the second day, he walked through and he was wearing a dress and um, and makeup. And uh, he basically got stopped um, by the security guards and told he wasn't allowed to go through there and he was uh. making people feel uncomfortable. And Yeah, so, like, sort of really um, bad discrimination took place and, you know, in the end we complained to the supermarket and on the last day he was allowed through. But he felt, like, very, very uncomfortable in that area and lots of abuse. Yeah. But then we did the project again in 2016 in the same area, so three years later, and... Um, it felt very, very different and it felt like people were responding. I mean, Laurie wasn't doing it on that day, but we had, uh, didn't do it that time, but we had, um, Andre, um, who's like a non-binary artist and, and yeah, they were in that area and, um, actually had some really like positive, um, comments from mm. children on the street. And so, yeah, I don't, I, obviously this isn't like, <laughs> uh, uh, a um an experiment where you can properly measure things and how they've changed, but it like there's also i think uh, yeah, if I think back to twenty thirteen that felt like so much more dangerous than yeah um just a few years later, not to say that it like is in any way <laughs> um no. you know all sorted at all, but um yeah when when you said it was twenty thirteen I was, like, oh, yeah, that's the year that we were doing that in um yeah, in Leith and it felt yeah uh yeah
1: really difficult actually so and it's i mean it's
0: it's interesting to reflect on that as well like because being i mean it's not we are not on a progressive things are now better than they were in the past in you know increasingly i mean it's more up and down than that isn't it some things are better and some things are definitely not better um and there's this like maybe increased visibility and understanding of trans people and trans women but you know that that goes two ways i mean i remember and i, I just said about like being in govern and the, and the kids and that but the experience of like being outside actually and and in, and in glasgow has been more difficult than that over the over the years
1: mm-hmm. and
0: i feel like in that first year being really um aware of getting difficulty on the tube ride and um like my cis uh producer who's who's a cis woman stepping between me and a guy and and feeling that real shift of like i'm making my presence is making my friends less safe and never oh, having yes. had felt like that before um which is a kind of cis privilege to not feel like that um mm. and then a couple of years afterwards the um rihanna armstrong doing her piece um where she invited people to lie down in the yeah, in the yeah. public space, which was a beautiful piece. I love I love Rhiannon's work, um, and I got and that really that was really upsetting for me because I just got really scared. And while I was doing it, some lads came over and gave a bit of bother and just like young kids really. And I was so ashamed of how scared that made me because they were just children. But mm. there was something about putting myself on the floor in public that felt like okay I don't know if I have the kind of body that is allowed to do that anymore um right yeah and Rhiannon handled it really well and facilitated it and I did feel safe within the facilitation of the piece but again that thing of going I don't know if oh, I've just gone and launched myself into this and I'm like yeah cool what what, what's the experience I'll do it and yeah and that's been a journey for me over the last you know five six years is going oh maybe I can't walk through that park anymore oh maybe I can't do that anymore and you know and that is about partially about trans prejudices partly it's about misogyny and you know the more people identify me as female the more dangerous things become yeah
2: yeah
0: yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, also in
0: 2013 i've got a time gendered intelligence on their um annual report did a timeline of things that happened which is really cool um Mm. which even though they kind of have been around for a long time um Yeah, 2013 was the year of the first trans pride in Brighton,
1: um, which
0: feels like something that's been going forever, but yeah, only been going since 2013.
1: That is strange, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah,
0: Um, yeah. And it's got here the, the, the year that Paris Lees was on Question Time as the first out trans woman on Question Time, which I remember that was a big deal as well. So there was lots of this kind of, you know, yeah. It's just funny. It's, it seems funny how that's changed. But then you know, like you say, open barbers were there, and that w- they'd been going for a while. By the time they came to to you, um,
2: yeah. yeah, And In fact,
0: Felix was part of the performance of language that year. Yes, that's
2: right. Yeah, it was. Well, it was great that year. That was the first year we were in the Pierce Institute, actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: Um. And it's significant, you know, that kind of like difference between whatever the the person on the street and then the kids who were inside and you know just being able to have so much more of a nuanced conversation um with yeah which was a i, oh, I don't know what i have to say about that
2: <laughs> yeah well i think yeah there was i mean there was definitely something that happened with everyone all together at buzzcut where i feel like um there was sort of a group of queer people en masse, in a way, and then when people entered into that who perhaps weren't used to being in that community, or who, who if they saw one queer person on their own in public, might feel... Like, feel I don't know, perhaps... There might be They would see the queer person as someone who stands out and someone who's different and perhaps weird and not welcome or whatever, whereas to enter into... room and be like okay here's a big group of queer people and obviously this is a community and these people know what they're doing and and they're making this space and it's you know it's a welcoming space but um well hopefully welcoming but um yeah it's like something different happens um I think a lot of people aren't used to encountering like big groups of queer people so you'll see the the person on their own in public and feel like you have a right over them but yeah Yeah. to understand that yeah, there's like big groups of people who are like that, and it's um, yeah, it's not just a strange, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it legitimizes it, is what yeah. maybe what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think uh, you're
0: right. Which is a major thing because, like, you know, and around that time, it would be before then, the last like kind of twenty years of trans healthcare was, you know, people were absolutely being told, don't as advice as medical advice, don't socialise, like, don't be in groups with other trans people because you'll be more likely to be read as trans. Um, right. And so there is, you know, something like trans pride is radical because it's getting trans people to stand together in a way that we will be noticed.
1: That yeah, We yeah.
0: tend to try, and, you know, to try not to be for, for various reasons um, at other times. I mean, I, ne- I never, you know, I don't ever try to... Blend in as cis but I do try to like you know not get abuse <laughs> yeah
1: yeah
0: 2013 given that open barbers is there also known for the year that I first got my undercut
2: oh right so there that you was... are yes <laughs> a year a lot of people got some uh, jersey hairstyles I think, I think it was uh and I got my whole head covered in glitter yeah <laughs> uh, that was the... awesome yeah Yes, although that wasn't open barbersy. That that was. Uh, I'm just remembering. There, there was. Yeah, it was a sort of hair themed. There was um, uh, Ella and Nikki oh, had and the caravan. A caravan. Yeah, and they were doing total the clips of the head and also doing really good uh, hairstyles. So, yeah. um, yes, lots of good hair <laughs> and the beginning of trans discourse at buzz cuts.
0: Yeah, trans discourse <laughs> and trans undercuts. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> So,
0: and the other thing I remember from that year was, which I had forgotten, um, which is related to Doodle, is I was looking back at that very first Doodle and I've drawn this little comic strip of Nick, who you co-ran Buzzcut with, um, coming up and asking me how I want to be introduced and what pronouns I want to use. Um, And I don't remember this at all, but it must have happened because I drew it and so nick asks me and then i go oh anything i don't mind and then he goes okay pal (laughs) because that's the way he talks um and then i call him back and say oh actually could you use gender neutral pronouns um and nick's like yeah no problem and then i'm like oh my god why was that so hard to ask for and honestly i can't remember when i was using gender neutral pronouns and like using that as a kind of bridge between male and female because at that time it felt too appropriative to me to ask people to really use female pronouns um Mm. for lots of reasons that I now recognize as, as kind of um fucked up really but I think true for a lot of people but yeah like I mean that's I guess what I'm observing is it's cool that Nick was asking that and that you know so that that clearly was a thing that was happening
2: yeah but also great that you were doing that piece at that time, because I don't know, like some people that have been, um, I can't remember who was I was talking to recently, but they were talking about like, you know, how, how we document change and, and if we're writing things down, mm. basically that, that you will forget how you felt at yeah, certain times totally. and what was going on. And, um, you know, you say you'd sort of forgotten that, you can't remember using gender neutral Maybe it's not that important that you know, but it's like interesting that because you were there doing that piece, like, yeah, you've recorded that happening, and that can remind you how that might have felt, which is also useful if you're speaking to, yeah. I guess, other people early on in their transition, and um, yeah. yes, and definitely good that Nick asked as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and I do feel that that's, I mean, part of this book, which is the um, catalyst for this conversation, um Like, my desire for that and why I think it is a really valid thing to be doing is to not just show the end result and the point where I'm seemingly fine and cool and, like, everything's good and I make this, like, piece of work about being trans, but to, like, to reflect on the last few years and to share and share that journey. And, you know, I found so helpful when other trans people shared those kind of pre-transition photographs or whatever or talk about what that journey was. Because I think the assumption, and this is true of you know loads of things, but the assumption is just to see people see other people as sorted and to forget that that everyone starts and everyone is figuring stuff out and you know I do it with with being with my work as being an artist, like I do try and always talk about how I began in amateur theater in Cornwall and not to just start at drama school and because otherwise these things become very mysterious, and yeah, you know I think there's the, there's the danger of younger people or like, or older people who are at a different point in transition just thinking like well in some way their transition is failing or their thing is failing because because we're all so mysterious and we all just want to seem cool yeah <laughs> we all want to seem cool and sorted so yeah, yeah. I, I hope that the that reflecting on this period of time um does give a kind of you yeah, know opens that up a little bit
2: yeah exactly and i think um well i guess i feel that um one of the values of art uh is that it can reveal complexity within um within experiences and i suppose i think something um that thing around you, you want to be positive about your experience of being trans because you want to seem sorted but also because that feels really important in terms of like transpositivity and you know we were talking mm. before about these stories that are out there that are maybe very negative to do with relationships or and actually perhaps there is like this real desire for a lot of people to be yeah very very positive about gender experiences to show that you can be trans and you can be you know like living a good life and but I and so and I think like perhaps from the point of view of being the partner of someone transitioning like definitely at the beginning felt like I couldn't at any point say anything was remotely yeah Um, difficult about it because I didn't want to to say anything that would feel like um, negative Mm. or like transphobic even you know Um, but of course like all um, uh, experiences that we go through and processes we go through can feel lots of different things at different times and it can be very very positive and at the same time have difficulty within it and so I think like yeah to be able to um, I think, yeah, the act of making work that helps to like speak to those different um, uh, emotions that go on or yeah, or some of the challenges and to be able to have that record of that at the same time as yeah. being in a, a place to be able to look back is, um, yeah, feels really well, important.
0: I mean, just presenting the messiness of, of situations, isn't it? And um, there's something, I mean, Tra- Travis Alabanza speaks about like being seen as the kind of the messy tranny and I think about that so often and how like representations of trans women or trans feminine people are often like you know I do feel this pressure and again this is misogyny it's not just a trans thing but this pressure to always look good and to always look Mm. um well to always look good basically to always look good and to always look um like I'm better off having transitioned and that's a mm. huge pressure and sometimes mm. i think of that thing that travis said and it and then i feel a real ability to own it <laughs> like if i don't want to shave or if i put my makeup on really fucking thick but i did it cuz i liked it that way and stuff like mm. that that sometimes i feel that that's a kind of like um a protective thing to go yeah i'm going to be i'm going to be messy today and you know like that yeah that might that might make for difficult encounters but i'm going to own it and you know i want to see more representations of that and more people talking about that rather than only see people who are very beautiful because that's something that's not attainable to a lot of people just as it isn't from glossy magazines full of beautiful cis people
2: yeah yeah exactly exactly and by by beautiful uh, read
0: conventionally beautiful as opposed to you know actually beautiful
1: right
2: yeah exactly i think um yeah, I think it's really important and it feels like I'm just thinking about that the sort of issues around minority representation and like when when limited you have to be absolutely perfect to be like the person who's representing that group. Yeah. Um so if there's if you're making a piece of art about a certain minority experience, it has to be able to do everything and it has to speak to everyone in that group because we're not in a time where we have shit up by that group because yeah. that isn't it, yeah they don't those opportunities and I suppose yeah even in terms of like how we represent our bodies and um, yeah it's stressful yeah <laughs> um, and I think messiness is really important um, yeah
0: Um, can I jump us on to lang- um, onto Eggbox yes
2: um, yeah.
0: which was a piece that I made that was a one-on-one piece and performed inside two gigantic cardboard boxes um one of which i was inside and one of which the audience member was inside and there was kind of communication via uh, ultimately via a um like a visualizer which is the thing that's made for class school classrooms so that something can be shown up the front and then magnified and projected um and i have like the projector showed the image in the audience's box and then i was doing drawing and um various things in the other box but um kind of the development of that, or the early development of that, happened when we were on the campsite retreat.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and so you saw one of the very first iterations of that, which was me inside a tent, I believe, or you inside a tent. who was inside the tent? But sort of passing notes.
1: I think I was in the tent. think you were in the <laughs> tent and
0: I was slipping notes through the zip.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, what do you remember of that piece? And, and like, why did you like it? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you
2: know, I... Uh campsite one I I think, I think you know when you see a version of something and then you see a new version of it it almost like you can't remember the first yeah. version I'm struggling to have a proper memory of I also don't have a very good memory <laughs> um, but of the of what happened in the campsite one other than being in the small like, I, like yeah like it's like the memory isn't there but I can remember the one um, I remember more of what happened at Buzzcut so yeah. I don't know if that just like took over it in my memory but so it's probably
0: um, a good thing because it meant that the development of the piece was positive rather than just like ruining something that was a beautiful yeah. <laughs> a beautiful moment
2: uh, yeah i'm not holding on to something in the first one like why didn't that carry on yeah um but um and yeah i mean i i do have to say though i've been thinking about it and my i don't have a good memory for detail mm. uh <laughs> but i um I remember, yeah, I definitely remember being inside a cardboard box and I remember um, something <clears throat> which has come to me now in the current experience that I'm having um, is is to do with scale, actually, and um, how it's possible to feel like things are really huge sometimes and yeah. sometimes like things are very very small and i suppose and and um within that piece there was if I, am i right in thinking there was um quite vast like scientific sort of um facts or there it it was making me think about um the idea of um sort of living organisms in quite a in quite a vast way is what i'm remembering (laughs) yeah uh and i I haven't gone completely off piece (laughs) no
0: no you haven't at all
2: um
0: no no no, it totally was because it was um it was inspired by this book that i found when i was performing a ghostbusters parody musical um (laughs) And it was a book that we had as a prop. And then I was like on stage pretending to read the book. And then I started reading the book and it was called Sex and the Nature of Things. And it was written in the 50s by a Canadian biologist, uh, marine biologist, I think. And it's basically like about the book is about how, wow, everyone says it's amazing. We all are connected to apes but actually we're all connected to everything because everything starts mm. as a single celled organism, which is an egg and we're the same as sea cucumbers. And did you know that sea cucumbers have no gender and like, of oh, this stuff. And so Eggbox was kind of like, and I mean, I feel a little bit embarrassed about it's positivity in some ways, because I feel like it's very, it does the thing that says, Hey, we're all the same. So why are we worrying about difference? And mm. to some, in some respects now, four years later i feel like whoa that's simplistic because i get like i've lived this life and i kind of you know we are we all the same well i experience a lot of things differently and it almost feels a bit like too easy to give that to people now but that said i do think it's a helpful thing and it's a helpful place to start for you know certainly as a way of connecting with people who really have not much um like understanding of things and and also it's fucking true mm, yeah fundamentally made of stardust and we are fundamentally related to sea enemies. like what like how do, you know how is anything else an issue so it, it really is a big zoom in um onto that those micro micro things so yeah you're absolutely remembering it correctly
2: yeah no that's good yeah and i think um i think that I, I understand what you're saying about, yeah, maybe the sort of sim, that as a simplistic way of thinking, but I think it can be really useful as well. Um, and I I feel like, yeah, th- this experience of my partner transitioning, which is now something I, I suppose I'm relating a lot of things to, um, we talk about it, yeah, feeling like sometimes like so sort of huge, <laughs> Um, and seismic and monumental and then and and like emotional and and then sometimes, yeah, feeling very, very light and like you know and and recognizing the constant change everywhere in everything, and this being one of yeah. those and and it's and it's not either of those things ever completely, you know it's like it's so many different things and and also, I think there's something that is very, very personal about it and then there's also you know obviously i mean this is a really like cliche thing to say but uh, yeah there's this sort of like real personal um an intimate um experience alongside a very medical experience and th- uh, there's something within the performance that had a sense of like it had technology within it but it was also had a real like diy aesthetic at the same time and i i remember, yeah, sort of reflecting on that within the work, um, the way, yeah, there, like, because I also I'm not very technologically minded, so for me, my mind is blown when I'm in a box and there's something being projected, and like I know it's coming from the other one, but I don't know how. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, it's sort of like feels really high tech, but also feels very like um, DIY and low tech, and it was like OHPs and stuff like that, wasn't it, in the cardboard box? So. I don't know. There was something about that that also speaks to I think this like shifting scale and um, and something that an experience that is um, constantly shifting between being sort of about the like the personal and the domestic and the day to day to being something that's like incredibly um, incredibly advanced that engages with very very advanced technology and um, yeah I felt like there was something of that within the work as well but you're probably like Rosanna that is such basic technology or something uh, I don't know
0: <laughs> No I mean the technology was was really complicated to try and have a simple effect and I don't know if you remember when when it came to um when it came up to Buzzcut I dropped I was because I think I was staying in um Ivor's place and um, mm. had a bath that morning and was shaving my legs and the bowl the bulb had gone in the bathroom and I was using the light from my phone to shave my legs in the bath. And then my phone fell in the bath. Oh my God. Planning on running some of the things from my phone. And then that light like, went wrong. So like in the end on that day, the first, um, the first bunch of them um, were like super prone to like technical failures as well. Um, so it wasn't all smooth running though. Hopefully it was by the time that you, um, that you encountered it. But um I mean, I, it's funny that whole small things, small things, big things. Like, it's so interesting mm. in the experience. And that first year we came to Buzzcut with Language and Doodle, we were calling the project Small Things. That mm. was there. it. And that was kind of because of this thought of, like, oh, my God, I wore mascara. And that was really big, but it was a very small thing. Or, like, I had my belt around from one way Way because men are supposed to wear belts one way and women are supposed to wear belts the other way and like shirts button up different sides and you know really that's to supposedly to do with the fact that um if you're a man you dress yourself and if you're a woman your servants used to dress you and that's <laughs> why they were like made for someone facing you rather than yourself or like some logic like that mm. um, which obviously has lots of lots of class connotations as well mm. but um you know that was how we were envisioning it, and then there was something along the way of all these very small things that began, like very micro, like the language. The original one was very small on a table, and the doodle was very small on a table. And we we went actually, this is the wrong thing. This needs to be big and visible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went for none of us to, to none of us is yet a robot, um, which was a quote from language. But yeah, I mean, it's for me. I never was able to go. I don't. I wasn't able to go, I'm going to become a trans woman. Well I, you know, I always was, but like I'm going mm. to, I'm going to transition as a woman and I'm going to have medical transition and all of those things would have been it was absolutely inconceivable to mm. me. Mm. What happened was over the course of my life, up until I was thirty, I, had these very incremental steps and very small things but Mm -hmm. every one of those small things felt just so uh, like emotionally huge and Mm -hmm. then by the time i got to the things that arguably are quite big like beginning to take hormones or whatever they felt more manageable and actually smaller in some respects you know like i mean at the the moment i'm i'm at a point of considering various surgical things and what have you and I feel so kind of like oh whatever
1: <laughs> well, yeah
0: maybe I'll do that maybe that's necessary and it, it like emotionally um that feels like a smaller step than it did to go out in public wearing eyeliner when there's yeah. men well there's people who identify as male who were assigned male who go out who wear eyeliner because they're goths or whatever you know it's not even a thing that's that's not a thing um so, yeah, no, I completely relate to that. And and that was that was something playful about Eggbox because it was happening inside a cardboard box, which is yeah. also a nice thing to do because we don't get to sit in cardboard boxes as adults.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it definitely had a sort of childlike quality to it that I really enjoyed as well, um, which I suppose, you know, in some ways, if we think about where where there's... I think there's, like, real space for playfulness and for um actually accepting lots of different ideas about how people might be when when you're children and you're in that mode. And then obviously, like we we become well, in lots of cases, yeah, people get more rigid as they learn, they learn, they learn, they learn, they learn. But you know, like I, th- I think something about that piece as well, which again is such a simple thing to say. but um, yeah, like th- this idea that everything's connected, and also like, um, all you know humans are born as babies and then and there's like so much potential of what they might be open to accepting or you know experiencing um i feel like i'm actually speaking rubbish now but uh, <laughs> i don't know there's something in that uh childlike nature of it that i i think like helped it to feel like there was potential or something
1: yeah
0: no i i, I think i think that's totally um... That's totally right it's brilliant um you know the thing when you make something and then someone articulates what it is really well and you're like oh my god that's of course of course that's what it is but <laughs> not sure that that would, ever could have been a cohesive thought I mean I also just quoted loads of people like it was a, I just it's quite a collage of other people who said good stuff mm. uh, but it began and the chapter headings from that 1950s book which I just thought and still think were re- are really beautiful as a collection of as a collection of things that you make work in response to, there's like 20 20 chapters and it's like, well, that's a nice exercise just to take 20 (laughs) statements and then just make a response to each of them. And then that becomes your performance. Mm. But number one, which the chapter title is the light dawns was just (laughs) simply a quote from the book, um, which is we are creatures born of water made mostly of water living on dry land with only the gaseous air surrounding us, looking across the universe to distant stars. And it was just like, wow, that doesn't put us in our place straight away. (laughs) What does, you know? And so, yeah, there was just something so validating in that zooming out um, or zooming in, whichever way it goes.
2: Yes, which way is it? Yeah, I suppose it is. It's a zooming out of yourself in a way and like a recognition of, yeah. A, con- a, a broader connection and yeah and and so in some ways a loss of identity within that which i think is useful but it's funny i was i was doing some writing recently that that thing about water because you know it is interesting that we are mainly made of water and i think like that is can be useful in terms of thinking about change and things like that but mm. I don't know. Sometimes I was like, well, I don't feel like I'm made of water. Like I feel like I'm made of flesh and bones, and and something quite hard. I, I guess it was a bit of a like reaction against that, and and this idea of you know, I don't know. I was just thinking about because um, actually I think it was I was reading a bit of the Argonauts, and and I actually like that book and have found it useful. But it's it's got water on the front, and yeah, this idea of like water being a symbol for change and the tides and mm-hmm. our bodies are made of water. And, and I think like there's so much about that that I really, really like, but I was just having a moment of like, well, actually, you know, like <laughs> we're not water. We're <laughs> people and we are going to have surgery. And we, you know, like it, it actually like something, I had this reaction. It was like, no, I'm, I'm flesh and blood and that feels different to water or something. But, I don't but know, you- but like we can feel differently with those, those things at different times can't we
0: (laughs) and i but i think that it's i'm it's so interesting to hear you articulate that because i think um within the within the work like so jumping forward to rituals for change like i talk loads about being a bag of water in that and about fluidity and we're made of water and bags of water dragging ourselves around and and that is you know that's what that piece is all built around is that um metaphor of of um tides and flow and stuff like that for sure, like there's nothing about living in 2018 that permits us to see ourselves as fluid bags of water. And I think that's where a lot of the kind of toxic attitudes towards, you know, queerness or transition or things, you know, with with desiring these black and white. Well, what are you? Are you this or are you that? Because we want to, we, we see ourselves as robots or we see ourselves mm. as boxes or we're in cars or we are these hard things that bump into each other. And that when we bump into, literally bump into another person, that we bounce off and that we don't in any way affect that other person, that we are Mm -hmm. our own little islands. Whereas, you know, historically, if you went back to, we went back a thousand years when people would cast, if you were like down on your luck or if you were um, ill or something, you might be cast out of a community or it was bad luck to be touched by a beggar because people were much more connected to the idea that we rub off on each other and that mm. somebody's luck or somebody's essence, because, you know, we we literally are. these We're permeable, and, and water it flows through each other. But, you know, that that's something that, like, scientifically, our understanding or our imagination of what we are, because that's all that we can do, really, isn't it, is hold sort of some kind of... try and put some kind of logic to it. But yeah. I, you know, we're definitely in this age of metal and robots and plastic, which is also why the whole thing's called none of us is yet a robot, because mm. <laughs> you know, it's pushing against that, but I mean, I think that complexity that you articulated, it's absolutely a kind of integral thing of the, of the fight against, like, what am I? That yeah. We're all screaming. Um, that's awesome. I'm, I'm aware it's probably about time to bring things around, but, um, Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you were hoping we might?
2: Uh, Well, I was just going to say one thing that I remember very strongly from the performance was a really, really joyful um, moment of the end, which if I'm remembering it rightly, we both burst up out of the boxes. Or like I came up and I saw you and and we were dancing and it, it just felt incredibly... Joyful, and that's quite a strong memory. I hope I've remembered it right. (laughs) um... Yeah,
0: yeah. So chapter fourteen, dance, wings, and song, and then we danced to kinney Modern Girl, yes, which I love. And then there was like chapter sixteen, Born Alive, and we saw a a chick a hatch out of an egg, like a Sesame Street video. And then the invitation was to leave, and we and we laughed. And there's one I think that's called the Great Emergence as well. But yeah, and that was part of it was that hatching out of the egg, which ironically as well, I mean, I don't think I knew at the time. But um, now that um, like people who are trans, who are just coming to their transness can sometimes in some discourses be referred to as eggs in a very loving, in a very loving way. Uh, And so it's interesting. It's it's funny that at the time that I was an egg, I was making this piece about being an egg. Yeah. (laughs) um oh. but yeah that that moment of dancing and dancing without being seen and then coming together and that was that coming together was different like we may well have danced together and with other people we just held hands and looked at each other and with other people we talked a lot and mm. so it was very unique to the other individual actually mm. happened when the boxes were opened um which is something that was nice um and i think you know is essential with one-on-one work isn't it is that the presence of or whoever the person the audience member is whatever they bring to the piece necessarily alters that piece
2: yeah yes i think Mm. that can be a lot more yeah that we can feel that much more potently in in one-on-one work with the Mm. yeah with the solo audience but um yeah that's interesting it was different with each person, no, I ha- I do have a very vivid memory of that feeling, incredibly sort of, yeah, like in elation or something. Um, maybe in contrast to being in that box as well, um, yeah, yeah a sense of space and and connection with you, and yeah, that was really, um, yeah, really great.
0: As well that year, um, I think Joe Bannon did her piece, mm. one,
2: on one
0: which was in the the dark. You win yes. the, the darkness.
2: Exposure.
0: Yeah. And that's a really amazing one on one piece. That perhaps the presence of the audience member does not change because it's so much about looking at Joe and Joe's generosity and in showing herself. But um she and I started a conversation about being seen that year that we kind of keep dipping into whenever we see each other. It's really mm. nice. It's a conversation that we're gonna probably keep having for the rest of our lives. But I remember right. really like it beginning there and us being like, oh, we must continue this. Um, but that was another one-on-one kind of intimate held sort of experience of being in the dark, I guess, with with another person.
2: Yes, I didn't see that piece, that buzz cut, but I did see it at Forest Fringe on you And uh, yeah, yeah, it's an amazing piece and very interesting to think about being seen. Yeah, you two having that conversation. Um, I would like to hear that conversation <laughs> perhaps yeah, in the was- podcast. Uh, but um I think one more thing that's um sort of in my head, I don't know, just a, a reflection on some of this conversation is is thinking about um I don't know the idea of metaphor and the use of metaphor within work and within and the using metaphors to understand human experiences and, and I guess just to say I've found that um yeah, i I've, I've just been doing some writing like in the past yeah every so often and and i realized that i've like <laughs> just writing it in metaphors all the time um like you know in response to um to either transitioning and and things that are happening for us and from and for me and and i and i was sort of like wondering why that was and, and you know my response to the water metaphor isn't how i feel about it in general it was just like a moment of feeling something in relation to that mm. but i think um yeah and i was sort of wondering yeah wondering why I was being so drawn to metaphor and and sort of to link it back to something we were talking about at the beginning um I don't you know maybe there's something in the fact that this is a new experience that I don't really know like the only things that I have are metaphor or are saying oh it's it's like this other thing that I know what that is or this other thing that I know what that is because this actual experience I don't know or something so um yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's also like I'm very, very cheesy uh, <laughs> uh, and probably just using loads of cliches or something. But no, it's just interesting that I realised I was like, yeah, wanting to put everything into it being like a metaphor. Like yeah. a metaphor. A metaphor.
0: <laughs> I think I see. I mean, it's definitely something that I've seen in my work and recognised like in my work going, oh, it's like a jumper that doesn't fit. or Oh, it's like a this or like you know yeah as you say constantly looking for metaphor and then i see it in a lot of other work around trans stuff as well and it's definitely i mean because you're trying to articulate something that's so i think you're right undocumented and personal necessarily personal and and so it's very um we're all just trying to like find the language so much Mm. of this is still about forming language although hearty which is the last of the sequence um my last, my experience the last couple of years, is I've traveled around the world more and I've met trans and two-spirit people in uh, Canada and Brazil and Indonesia, primarily. And as I meet more people who have a cultural history of transness, um, mm. as opposed to us in the West, where we are rediscovering our transness, of course, we do have a cultural history. It's just not. Mm. Um, we don't know how to talk about it because it's not been documented. Um, is that I feel that that piece sits more in reality and in example, um, and that's mm. something about, maybe that's something about um, how politics have changed, or, or how more kind of angry and vulnerable I feel about just wanting to go look. This is the thing. Yeah, than trying to describe my own experience, and and also about my my. Um, Something like I'm over my own experience. My own experience will continue to be uh, endlessly fascinating to me, but my awareness <laughs> of of my responsibility as a um, white Western privileged trans person and artist to continue to talk about other people's experience as well to begin mm. to Experience, um, but yeah, metaphor. Um, like I'm trying to think of a metaphor to describe a metaphor, but maybe that's. <laughs> Um, redundant but yeah I I hear that for sure yeah Um, what do you um for the people who are listening in the new year what's Mm. the something I've asked everyone um like what is what's well we're December now we're not even November what is December 2018 like what's alive for you um kind of politically or in the world what feels present to you now, oh for so people to remember the context under which we're <laughs> talking. No.
2: Uh, I mean, well, I basically feel um pretty uh, worried <laughs> in the world um about uh, the climate and I feel like we are having we're in a time of loads of extreme warnings about um all the animals that are dying uh, and I feel very scared about that at the moment and it feels like Brexit is taking up most of the airwaves and that also feels like quite a worrying thing. Um, These two things feel very, very present and in the news every day and I um, uh, also feel like um, uh, there's this experience of um, Hearing experts giving warnings and saying this is what's going to happen if if you car- if the world carries on like this, or this is what will happen if Brexit happens, and then knowing that the people who are in power, or feeling like the people are in power and able to do something about it, are choosing not to listen to those warnings, and I suppose in a time of wondering myself what is possible to do, uh, that all feels quite relevant uh not relevant quite um very present uh at the moment um not in a way where i'm feeling very uh galvanized maybe feeling a bit more um sort of overwhelmed um but uh yeah i suppose yeah in terms of the wider world but yeah it's those those things um and i suppose when this has gone out who knows brexit may have all gone through and where will we be then um but uh yeah (laughs) maybe
0: maybe the climate will be fixed
2: (laughs) yay yes um
0: i mean it's and it's it's those things which are so alarming but also whilst christmas takes us in its grip again right like and all the commercial stuff seems to just be rolling out in the same way as it has increasingly for the last few years, but in a way that just seems like so at odds with the news cycle. Yeah, uh, it feels kind of even weirder this year than it usually does. And I, I speak as a person who quite enjoys Christmas and um ha- has you know has good uh, good associations with it, mm. but just that kind of like over overuse of plastic and you know capitalist nonsense that comes it's just it feels quite inappropriate this year in a way that i'm not even sure i've um i've quite felt so strongly in other years
2: yeah i know what you mean um having said that i have already got my christmas tree up but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but um i i have this sense of um you know when you see like um end of the world films or sort of dystopic novels and the world's got to a place that's really, really bad and then you see like some flashbacks to points along the way and there's this time where like everyone's getting warned about all this stuff that's going on and it's sort of in the news but people are like most people are just carrying on and like I feel like we're yep. in that time or something. Uh and yeah, and when you see it in the film or in the book you're like, Why aren't people paying more attention then? And they could have stopped this really yeah. bad situation. Anyway, that's all yeah, sort of quite doomsday thoughts at the moment. And uh yeah, it. I mean, I was reading some uh, magazines last week um, with like like Cosmopolitan uh, because I was sitting somewhere where these magazines were, and uh, just reading like the way people are talking about Christmas, um, and like you know you know quite helpful strategies for people to get through Christmas. But it it was like really weird reading them. It was like I was. It made me realize. Oh, I don't normally maybe read this type of magazine and know what's being said in them but you know things like strategies to make sure you don't spend too much money you're not overspending and i suppose i yeah actually i don't have children so i'm not thinking about spending money on children for christmas and you know i i do host have hosted christmas in my house and we will this year but recognizing that actually yeah it's just a time where like people it that like has so much stress within it for so many different reasons and in this, yeah, in like two different magazines I was looking at, it was just like all these different coping things, like how to cope and how to make sure, uh, yeah, all this stuff, I was like, oh, this is just like, it's become something so <laughs> stressful for people. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, I do think there's lots of really positive things about getting together in the middle of winter and, you know, um, yeah. it, even giving each other things can be really nice. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, but well, that's yeah. where
0: we, that's where we are <laughs> that's, yeah. where, we are, <laughs>
2: that's sure. where we are now, yeah, I
0: think, I'll tell you one thing because I think it's really funny. um I bought so I've got a little boy, um well, I have a little person who's actually interestingly articulating their um their gender in two ways at the moment. one is um boy, and that Joey says that for now he's a boy and he likes. To be called he, and that's fine. But also that really, he's a, he, his gender is nothing, um, and he's not a he or a she or a they. He wants he's just he's just Joey, and so asking to be you to, for his name to be his pronoun, which is all just kind of so sophisticated and blows my mind that that's where he is at six, mm. uh, and that's you know the, that's what comes of having uh, knowing a lot of gender non-conforming people, I guess, in his life in a meaningful way but um so anyway that was just me catching myself saying my boy and wondering whether it was appropriate but he, yeah. he is a boy. And, uh, and I think actually it's quite cool for a child to go my gender identity is child <laughs> yeah <laughs> that feels really <laughs> appropriate mm. uh, but anyway I bought one of those advent calendars that has doesn't have chocolates it has like things inside mm. little treats and toys and I thought that'd be really cool and I was really pleased with myself because it didn't cost very much and I was really excited because I quite like Oh, liked...
2: I've lost you.
0: Oh, hello, hello.
2: Oh, hello, you're back, you're hey. back. What was, last you. thing? what was the last uh, thing? You brought an advent calendar with the with, uh, toys in.
0: Yeah, and I was pleased with myself because it wasn't very expensive and you know, I quite like little silly things and, and that. And um, so we've been looking forward to opening. I also got it really early. So we were looking forward to, the, to day one and like all the suspense. And then we got to the 1st of December and he was opening it up, and I was like, "Oh, what's inside it?" And he g- he goes, "Oh, there's nothing inside it." <laughs> really sad. And I was like, "What do you mean? There's nothing inside it? Eh? It's supposed to fill it yourself." Oh. <laughs> I bought the like the empty thing. Oh my god! Oh, oh. This, this poor little boy is like, you know, looking forward to what this surprise is going to be and I had to fill the damn thing myself so oh my god that's so expensive so i managed to kind of like magic a sort of chocolate coin out of somewhere and slip it in and and be like oh look, there's a chocolate coin in it and then but i'm like now i'm having to kind of like find 24 bloody things to put inside it
2: oh my um, god
0: but i'm going to be quite playful and so today there was a picture of a squirrel on it and when he opened it loads of nuts fell out so oh
2: that's I cool really,
0: we'll, we'll we'll have fun with it but yeah, I thought, what a, oh, what a terrible bit of parenting that <laughs> <laughs> he literally had. No, he had nothing in his advent calendar.
2: Oh God! Oh bless.
0: Yeah, that was that, a, lesson, a life lesson.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, that's that's amazing though that uh, you would have you've got to get twenty four presents before the day. Yeah. the Day itself, bloody hell. Yeah. Real. Oh, like well, it'll be said. an old fashioned chocolate one next year. Yeah. <laughs> something I'd have to do Yeah. Um, oh.
0: yeah I think I'm going to go for some of them being good and some of them being bad just to see how that works out like half a banana or something yeah um, <laughs> cool thank you so much for chatting
2: it's it a pleasure really,
0: lovely to speak to you and um, I hopefully we'll see you in the flesh soon yes.
2: yes I hope so too yeah we're always round uh, up and down yeah Will be. I was down in London a lot um, next year, so I'm going to try and yeah spend some time there as well. But yeah, have a lovely Christmas. If I don't speak to you
0: Yes, you too. <laughs> so thank you for listening again uh thank you to rosanna cade for being my guest and to disparition for the incredible music you can find more of rosanna's work at rosannacade.co.uk. that's rosanna with one n and you can find more of disparition's music at disparition.info or through a number of the wonderful nightvale presents podcasts My book, None of Us Is Yet A Robot, Five Performances on Gender Identity and the Politics of Transition, comes out on June 25th, but you can pre-order at OberonBooks.com. I got my hands on a copy this week and I'm very excited. They smell amazing. Uh, We're also having a launch party on June 25th with amazing performances from trans artists like Morgan and Page. Binary, Sibira Wahogo, and Noah Kavaha, and tickets are free. You are all invited, and you can book those at Eventbrite. Finally, a lot of the work I make I do for free, and although I do sometimes receive funding, often I don't. And to this end, I've finally set up a Patreon account. Patreon is a great way to support independent artists to keep making the work that we make, and you can find me at www.patreon.com forward slash Emma Franklin. And should you be able to, then you can support my work with a monthly donation which will enable me to keep doing the work that I do that's difficult to fund working with trans people in the UK and around the world, writing, performing and of course recording podcasts. And I'm promising that there will be a season three. Um tune in next time I the next podcast that I have recorded in ready for this series um, excitingly is with Iva McCaskill um, who Rosanna and I spoke a little bit about during this episode however I, I'm not sure if I'm going to release that next week or not because I happen to be in Canada in Toronto uh, on an exchange with Buddies in Bad Times which is a, a queer venue over here and what I might do is uh, have a conversation with someone while I'm out here and post that instead so you might get a bonus contemporary episode um or I might just post the one with either either way you will get it all coming to you (laughs) sooner or later um, because you deserve it Alright, all right that's quite enough of me thank you so much for listening and do tune in next time stay safe
1: and see you soon